Podcaster, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, hi. My name is Megan. I'm a busy mom of four young kids, a comedian, an improv trainer, and an award-winning author. This podcast is essentially the vessel I use to verbally process all types of topics and experiences. I love sharing stories, ideas, and considering new alternatives to things I have yet to learn and apply to my own life. All of this in effort to help create happier, healthier human connections through humor. Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. November is National Adoption Month. Did you know that? I didn't actually even know that until just a handful of years ago. Even though I am a birth mother and I ultimately placed a child for adoption after I was knocked up in high school uh, and hid the pregnancy some 22 years ago. Um, years ago, though, several years ago, I felt very strongly that I was supposed to share my story and start putting things out there uh, to open up the conversations around adoption. And there's a lot of different things that come up in that space. And so it was really important to me to begin somewhere and to share in what ended up being an autobiography that I published five years ago called Not My Plan, sucking it in until I had to push it out. Uh, it was a time of my life where I was going through some challenges and needed to funnel my energy somewhere uh, productive and I thought, hey, here's a great time to uh, put some things together um, and, and try to begin that journey into adoption advocacy. And man, I have learned a lot over the years. Uh, and so my goal is to help be a vessel for more conversations, just getting the conversation started. What are things that we don't know? What are some things that, huh? You hear someone else's story and go, wow, I wouldn't have thought about that until I heard your story. Um, and so that'll be the next few episodes of the I Hardly Know Her podcast is um, with some folks representing different uh, components the, or angles of adoption, not only adoptees and, an adopt, uh, and adoptive families, uh, but also those who work in the social work space. Um, I'm so excited in general that I do feel like as a society, people are trying to be more aware of how to understand more about other people and to be more sensitive in the way that we speak about stuff and to be more open and to genuinely look to learn more and to use the, yeah, the appropriate terminology and be more inclusive because all of us are weirdos. You guys, we all have these totally different, nobody's normal. No one has it right, like completely right. Everybody has it. I mean, we're all right as we are. So there's not any, any one way that is the most, uh, you know, the way that we should all be patterning. We already know that. So I hope that we can all choose to expand our hearts to gather more information because I know that when I do, when I hear another story, I feel more connection to humanity and more tenderness towards freaking awful people in, uh, because I know that people go through hard things and we're all just trying to make those steps. So um, 
I hope that you enjoy this, um, kicking this off here, as I said, uh, a little nugget out of my own book in this episode and um, just some background on adoption community in general. Um, And I hope you enjoy. Everyone in the adoption community has a unique story, not that that is surprising. We all have different scenarios that lead us to the unique family situations that we all have and even every quote-unquote normal biological family is not necessarily a normal family. So when I think about adoption, especially having been more immersed in the community during the past several years, I think it's actually a really um, cool space for growth and for really having to step up the ability and the desire uh, to have great healthy connections because it's it's you're going into it knowing it's hard I think a lot of people when you're building a family at least when I was building my family I thought that doing it quote unquote the right way doing it in a space where I had a religious framework and a husband and I had my house in order as far as actually having a house and I was making a lot of great steps towards being the stay-at-home mom that I dreamed of being and even as I started building that family unit I expected it to be easy and normal and you know what I thought was normal and I pictured Christmases and holidays and outings walks in the neighborhood to feel like, oh, this is my little family and it's all going according to plan. Uh, And uh, as we all know now, it didn't really turn out being this like picture perfect scenario and not many scenarios really are probably that picture perfect. So um, as we're embarking into National Adoption Month, which is the month of November each year, I do think more and more about the dynamics of adoption and how there's a lot of lessons that can be learned um, that would really be applicable to a lot of people. Because, like, for example, if someone wants to become an adoptive family, they want to adopt a child, they have to go through a rigorous training, like home studies, making sure that they are fit to be parents. And other people don't have to do that. And the steps that they go through, the Um, the learning about trauma and different things like if people are looking to adopt kids out of our uh, foster program out of the foster system um, and also obviously through the agency support um, system that I work with um, there's a lot that's involved and these skills these tools the openness of communication is so important and could be such a huge advantage for other people to learn from Um, But in my little world, you know, I had my story of adoption that I kind of kept tucked away. I've mentioned this before. I kind of hid it away because I thought I needed to close that chapter. I was urged rather uh, specifically to move past that chapter. I was never offered counseling. I was never encouraged to take time for myself to heal to explore what my next steps could be in life if I should travel. I actually wanted to serve a mission for my church. I wanted to turn to God and serve and be enveloped by his unconditional love and be surrounded by that. And I truly thought that would have been the best thing for me. 
I was already in college at the time and didn't really want to go back to class. Um, I just felt very rushed to get to the next chapter of my life and felt a lot of guilt and shame to talk about adoption and to ever bring it up. So any of you that know me at all in real life um, know that I didn't really share a whole lot about the fact that I had had an unplanned pregnancy and graduated high school pregnant while I hid that pregnancy all the way up until delivery and ultimately chose adoption. And my story is my story. It's what happened. It is something very close to my thoughts often. Um, and it's been a growing experience for me. And even as an adult now, like a much older adult now, um, having do- like taken the step to uh, go deeper into the experience, I realized many years later the trauma that not only I experienced, but the other trauma that uh, you know, was inadvertently put on my birth daughter for having been placed for adoption and suddenly not being in anywhere near the womb that she had just um, formed in. And um, it's not that any of these things are terrible and impossible to overcome. I just wish that better tools had been given to me to work through the pain then and to be treated as though I was still a wonderful human which, again, I've, I know I've mentioned this before too, my own family was so wonderful and made me feel so loved and they were so sad that I didn't share this with them you know, while I was going through the pregnancy. And I, I did not feel that from other areas. And I also didn't want, I just didn't want it to be a shameful thing for my family. I didn't really want to be very public about it. I definitely knew it would be something that I would have people look down their noses at me at church um, and other areas in the community. So I only ever brought the story up if it felt really relevant, if I knew somebody maybe could use some insight. Um, and those have been tender moments, too, of being able to share. Uh, so in honor of this month and in my effort to create a safe space um, for conversations about adoption, I wanted to kick things off with reading a chapter out of the book I wrote actually five years ago now, it was in 20, what was it, 16, yeah, 2016, I wrote this book called Not My Plan, sucking it in until I had to push it out. I wrote this book while I was going through a really difficult time in my marriage, one of the very, very difficult times, and I was also pregnant with my now youngest, my, he's five years old now, just turned five this month, and, um, and I was pregnant with him, I found out I was pregnant with him, when I had just started writing this book and have felt really strongly that I was, I just needed to share my story for whatever it was worth. Um, I'm also, I'm, I've always just been a big journaler and a story, story junkie. And um, so I thought this would be a good healthy outlet for me to put my, put my story on paper and help with the the conversations of adoption to be just more comfortable to approach. Um, And so I'm excited to have a couple of different episodes coming up for this month um, with interviews of people from the adoption community and different perspectives, different challenging topics. Um, So I hope that you will um, enjoy some of these episodes that are about to be released. And here is a little story um, of, oh, and I'm totally going to cry. Whew. Just looking at the picture of myself in this book as just this little 
18-year-old young woman holding a baby. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful my sister took a picture because I would have never, I would have never wanted to have pictures taken because I didn't think I would want to remember it. I honestly wasn't sure I'd ever see that baby again. So, okay. So I'm going to read this chapter and I'll probably cry again. I cry a lot, guys. Um, and just a smidge of background for those of you that don't know the story. Um, as I graduated high school and I was five and a half months pregnant at the time, roughly, and I was trying to stay away from everyone. So I had two full-time jobs. I basically was gone all the time, avoided my family and friends um, as much as I possibly could. And it just was a huge shift in the way my normal life would be, my very social life, being part of lots of different events and things that go on. Um, I was a member of like every club that existed in high school. I loved doing the morning announcements. I was just loud and out there all the time. So being in this state of hiding was insanely difficult um, and a very lonely time for me. Um, And the only person that knew that I was pregnant was the biological father the my boyfriend um at the time and um we weren't necessarily seeing eye to eye on what next steps should be um anyway so just to give a little bit of context that this is the chapter in which I actually get to the point of (laughs) of having a baby after all the groundwork of these expectations I thought I was supposed to have in life and also a little peek into why I got into comedy, which was an, an unexpected but delightful side effect of having written my own book and just letting everything hit the paper and going, oh, wow, yeah, that's why I need humor and connection and that's why I thrive in that space. This is chapter seven, It's a Girl. By sheer insane willpower, I persevered. Somehow I kept superior graces with both employers, maintaining an agonizing work schedule that kept me out of the house from 5.15 a.m. to midnight most days, with a short break to drive from one job to the other. I was living at home with my parents and had no idea when those plans might change. I had almost completely given up on the idea of going to college since the one school I wanted to go to, Rick's College in eastern Idaho, didn't accept my application. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was the divine intervention since I applied while I was pregnant, but I was still devastated, nevertheless. It was almost like I was wading out a storm, but I didn't have an umbrella or a poncho. No, it was like I was in this thunderous, raging storm wearing a copper jumpsuit. Every single day I wondered how I was going to get past this. I could not picture a happy ending. I didn't know what to do with myself. Hiding away from everyone I loved was awful. I felt lonely and isolated. Even though I shared a room with my sister, I rarely made time to talk with her or be around her. She and I were the closest of all my siblings. When we were younger, we would stay up late playing Scrabble or Parcheesi. (laughs) Often while eating corn chips with dip, which to us was a giant tub of cottage cheese with ranch mix. Our whole room must have stunk to high heaven. We'd also keep each other entertained by singing popular TV jingles or power tunes together, but slightly and intentionally off-key. I missed those days of innocent nonsense. I was so ready for this to be over. Amid the general daily mental anguish I was experiencing in my waking hours, during the final couple months of my pregnancy, I started having these incredibly vivid and horrifying nightmares. 
One that was recurring for several weeks stretch was particularly disturbing. I would be out in public places in these dreams, common places like church, a friend's house, a movie theater. Suddenly I would hear the sound of a baby crying and I'd look down and my stomach and at my stomach and see the shape of a baby pushing against my skin. Like it was trying to get out and the crying was coming through my own skin. In those dreams, I would try to quickly excuse myself and bounce around in the hallways, holding my belly and shushing anxiously trying to calm the baby freaky I know I remember it I still shudder at the thought I woke from one of those dreams abruptly one time when I was starting to wet the bed I caught myself and hurried to the bathroom it was here that I caught my own reflection and realized my face and hair were soaked with tears I wonder if I'd been crying out loud in my sleep it was a rare morning I was off work and by the time I'd awakened it was bright daylight outside around 9 a.m after I cleaned myself up, I barricaded myself in my bedroom and told my mother I was sick and needed to go back to sleep. Instead, I lay on the top bunk, eye level with the window that faced out the front of our house. I stared out the window for a long time with rare but intentional blinks. I was on my left side with my left arm bent and tucked under a pillow as my head pressed heavily on it. My right hand was tucked between my thighs, causing my forearm to rest on my belly. The baby shifted, and I felt it push against my arm. My eyes filled with tears, and I kept staring out to the street. It was going to be a long day with no work interactions. At some point, I pulled out the Game Boy that Brent had given me, and I completed Super Mario Brothers twice. It was too warm in my room. I didn't have any covers on, and I would pulled my shirt up a little bit to air out my skin. My mom popped in to check on me, and I quickly, and I'm sure very casually, pulled down my shirt to my hips. She asked how I was feeling and reached up and playfully patted my belly and said, why are you getting so tubby? I ignored it and changed the subject entirely. The days dragged on, summer faded into fall, and on top of my two jobs, I ended up starting college. I enrolled at Boise State just in the nick of time before registration cut off. I made it a few weeks into the semester before I finally went into labor. It was in the middle of the night when my abdomen was taken over by steady, increasingly painful cramps. I find my, found myself curled on the floor next to the bathroom door. My parents were on a vacation to the Oregon coast. My own, uh, only my sister was home, sound asleep on the bottom bunk. I thought, this is it. This is the night I die. I hate asking for help. I'll do everything myself before I'll reach out to someone because I assume it will be a burden to others. It was no different even in what felt like a life or death situation. The contractions got worse and worse, and finally, through tears, I called in desperation for my sister, and I told her, I need her to take me to the hospital. She looked at me in a panic and yelled, what's wrong? The baby is coming soon. We scrambled to get to the car, and off we went. Only when we got close to the hospital did we realize we'd both left without putting our glasses on. Neither of us could see what the sign said as we pulled into the hospital, yet somehow we managed to park and head into the first door we could find. I was laying there on the gurney in triage with my sister, completely shell-shocked, as she could suddenly see how pregnant I was, literally as if it had just appeared that day. She sat in the chair next to my bed, eye level to this giant belly of mine, assiduously filling out a stack of paperwork for me on a clip chart. The thought of adoption hadn't really crossed my mind as a practical option until I was actually in the hospital holding a newborn baby. Sure, the word crossed my mind many times, and Brent tried to bring it up a couple times, but I had no interest in talking about anything with him. He tried to convince me to tell our parents a few times, and I refused to even have a conversation about doing so. 
It had always been out of the question. Now here I was in hospital draped in the standard issue pink robe and it was real. It wasn't a dream. I labored for only a few more hours. It gave my sister just enough time to call Brentley, Brent and calmly, sternly inform him that he better get down there. He made it with little time to spare before I needed to start pushing. He wanted to hold my hand. I had other plans. I clasped his hand with my left and then clawed the length of his forearm with my right. <laughs> my goal was to draw blood, though I don't recall if I was successful. I can't say for sure if I was screaming out loud at him or if it was in my mind, too. There was a lot of cussing, so I hope it was mostly in internal dialogue. The clock struck 8.58 a.m. It's a girl! Holy moly. It's a girl, and she's crying. A living, breathing, screaming human just came out of my body. It was overwhelming. I felt overjoyed and terrified. <sighs> then I held this perfect, fully formed, beautiful little baby in my arms. Her big, dark eyes stared back at me. They checked her vitals and then mine. The nurse made friendly small talk and was asking me simple, standard questions. Small talk while I sat there in a trance. I could feel tears welling up in my tired eyes, the moisture causing the slightest burn. She isn't mine, I said in a calm tone, almost a whisper. I cleared my throat to speak again. I can't keep this baby. She isn't mine. I managed to push that out with more conviction. She smiled and shifted the conversation. Oh, you're placing her for adoption. That's wonderful. She started asking me about the adoptive family as if it had already been prearranged and, seemed very caring, and, and she seemed very caring and interested in it. The moment I finally realized that adoption was a real option... I had a moment of peace and clarity. I knew that somehow I was going to survive this, and so would this little adorable creature I'd grown so quietly in my belly. My eldest sister, Erin, who lived just a few minutes from the hospital, was notified. When she heard Shannon say, Megan just had a baby, she was certain she had not heard correctly. Shannon repeated that, yes, she is in the hospital with Megan, and yes, she had just had a baby. The adoption agency was contacted from the hospital, and within hours, someone rushed down with a giant stack of profiles to look through. I started to pick through them. I was on a mission. I prayed for guidance. I felt a glimmer of excitement creeping out from under the months of fear and despair. I looked at photos of the families. I'd read a couple of lines of each of them and could tell rather quickly I needed to move on to the next. When I came upon one profile in particular, my heart jumped. Within the first paragraph, I knew I found them, a little family with one adopted daughter so far who was just like how I wanted to be when I grew up. They loved music, the outdoors, and they drove a Jeep. As I read the one-page bio, I thought, yes, this is it. But just to be sure, I skimmed through a few more. I excitedly returned to their story, looked at their smiling faces, and I knew they were my daughter's family. Erin sat with me while I flipped through the files. She pointed out several families that she thought seemed great, but I remained adamant that I had found the right family. My parents were contacted via cell phone from the hospital. My sister left a message that I was in the hospital. As they were out of range in the mountains of eastern Oregon, already making their way back out of town after a week away on vacation. My mother was consumed by overwhelming consternation as the words came through the voice message. She instinctively headed to the hospital in disbelief. She thought maybe she'd misunderstood. Megan is in the hospital? She considered other options. Maybe I was into drugs or overdose or something. But a baby? Impossible. 
She describes it as an out-of-body experience walking into the hospital room where her daughter sat in a bed holding a newborn baby. She looked around to observe that Brent had invited several friends to hang out. Once the baby had been born, he figured the secret was out and spared no hesitation to invite his buddies over to see the baby without ever asking if that was okay with me. They gathered around talking about the activities of their busy day of high school without a care in the world and wolfing down a pizza they had brought along with them. I tried hard to ignore all of the unwanted company with the little in, in the little hospital room. I didn't understand why Brent was broadcasting the news of what had happened. Having people come and see the baby and intrude while I was trying to keep a level head about making a responsible decision for the future of this child and for both of us made me instantly resentful of him. They didn't think to excuse themselves when my parents arrived, but I had had enough and I needed time with my mother. There weren't many words exchanged, but there were lots of tears and plenty of love. Later, Brent's sister came to the hospital and brushed my hair, finishing it into a braid. She told me that she had felt so bad she didn't know what was going on and admitted that she hadn't been a big fan of mine. She thought I was a bad influence on her little brother. Maybe so. Blame at that point was neither here nor there. She smiled and wanted to express her support for me, for us. I appreciated the gesture, and who doesn't love their hair, having their hair brushed? The adoption agency sent a young birth mother that first night at the hospital to help me through the process. She sat, in my sat by my bed while I held the baby. She had only placed her baby a few months prior, and she was an absolute wreck. Within a few moments of telling me about her adoption story, she broke down in tears, wailing. I miss him so much. I think of him every single minute. I found myself talking her off the ledge and reassuring her that everything would be okay and that I was sure that she made the right decision for her baby. And in my mind, I was yelling, what the hell is this? Get this crazy woman out of my room. I don't need some teenager meltdown, melting down. This is not helping. The only time I started to slip into a bit of a panic about whether or not I was making the right decision during, was during her visit. I did not want to end up like that in a couple months down the road. I politely gave feedback to my social worker that they should be more cautious about screening their quote-unquote support system. The next day, when I finally could walk, Aaron helped me bathe in the hospital. I felt completely exposed, and not just because I was buck naked. She lovingly helped my tired, or kept my tired, wait, she lovingly kept my tired, food and sleep-deprived body upright while the hot water poured over me. I was amazed that I could have made such a big mistake and sinned so profoundly in breaking the law of chastity. Yet, here was another sister serving me with not one ounce of judgment. I was thrilled that one by one, my family members still loved me as they discovered what had gone on all these months. There was a brief discussion while we were still in the hospital about whether I should go through with the adoption. Erin considered taking the baby herself to raise with her two young boys, one only seven months old and the other due to turn two in the following month, a task I could never have asked of her. The social worker com uh, commended Aaron for being there, signifying that a supportive family is surprisingly uncommon. He questioned her outside of my room about whether or not I understood the magnitude of the decision I was making. They entered the room together and he asked me if there was any chance that Brent and I could get married. Without hesitation, I replied that no, marriage was not a possibility. Brent was there in the room standing by observing. While filling out, filling out various forms for the hospital before we could be discharged, Brent and I decided on the name Emma Faye McCaleb. I picked Emma, he picked Faye, and I'm sure I just wrote down my own last name without consulting him because I earned it, dang it. In the end, it didn't matter. She was named Hannah. Her parents asked if it was cool with that, if, if I was cool with that name. As I was told there was another M in the family, her cousin Emily, 
I told them I was just fine with that, although truthfully, it took me a couple years to finally embrace it. After two nights at St. Luke's, I headed home while my baby made her way into the arms of a nice woman who cared for infants waiting to be placed into adoptive homes. I had been admitted into the hospital weighing 138 pounds. I weighed myself at home a few days later, 112 pounds. I was frail and exhausted. My body was completely maxed out. I feebly toddled around the house on my rail thin legs. My chest was in pain, my own emotions triggering the letdown of milk that I was forbidding to come. I layered three sports bras to keep the lactation at bay. Things moved fast. Within days, I was at the adoption agency waiting with my parents in one room. She was born on September 29, 1999. She was adopted on October 3rd. I held this tiny baby close, taking my time to breathe her in. She was so peaceful, and as I held her, she looked up at me, and we shared an unbroken gaze as she completely blew out her diaper. <laughs> I dutifully went to work changing her with the help of my mother. Her, <laughs> her pink jammies were smattered in poo. I took it as her clever way of letting me know I wasn't ready to be a mother. My mom took a few photos of me holding her. The social worker came in to let me know the family was there and they were ready to meet Brent and me. They were absolutely the most perfect couple. Their presence was warm and welcoming. The room filled with love. We talked for a while. While I don't remember the details of the conversation, I was staring at them and taking in their faces and voices because I knew I wouldn't see or hear, see them or hear them speak for many years. Caitlin, her new older sister, was roaming around eagerly waiting for the baby. I was grateful to have felt so much joy and energy in the room. I needed that reassurance that this was the right choice. I went back to the room where my baby was and I held her one last time and cried. The time came when I had to hand the baby to the social worker. We walked into the foyer together just outside the room where her new family was waiting. The image of her in the arms of the social worker is burned into my mind. I told her goodbye and said, I love you. I kissed her face. He turned and headed down the hall. We gathered our things and left. My parents and I went to Pizza Hut immediately after leaving the family service office. What else do you do after a life-changing event like this occurs? You have to move on with one regular old, normal, everyday step. Just saw your baby for the last time? How about some deep dish pizza? <laughs> so we crossed the street and ate some pizza. I cannot remember a single word that was spoken. I concluded that I needed to document these photos and paperwork from the experience. I ambitiously took up scrapbooking, carefully trimming photos and pressing together collages with stickers into beautiful pastel pages I bought while in the craft aisle at Walmart. That lasted about two and a half pages before I admitted another truth of mine. I am not good at scrapbooking, and I don't like scrapbooking. Instead, I remained true to myself and grabbed a three-ring binder from my old high school supplies, some clear sheet protectors, and just filed away each important item. The birth certificate, the page with her little footprint stamped on it from the hospital, and each set of letters and photos sent to me by Wayne and Leanne during the months following Han's placement. I always looked forward to the letters and stack of photos. I admired the effort it took for these wonderful adoptive parents to pause their busy lives and take time to send me notes of reassurance of how Hannah was doing. She carefully measures 
such careful measures to ensure I wasn't worried about my choice. I soaked up every word. I tried to imagine being in their shoes. I loved reading about how much Wayne and Leanne cared for each other, hearing the honesty and the ups and downs with the steady undertones of positivity and love they directed towards each other. Um, was more reassurance than even hearing about Hannah was doing. It had always been a goal of mine to find the love of my life and to have a relationship that was so firmly secure with love that there could be no room for doubt even though, even throughout the rough patches that any couple will undoubtedly experience. I prayed for Wayne and Leanne to continue to have such a strong relationship. After all, that was an important reason. I thought adoption was the best option for me. I could select a couple who had it all together. They were in love and dedicated to each other's happiness, and I always put uh, and always put the other person first. They were in it for eternity. I watched intently for those indicators to their relationship uh, that their relationship was on sure footing, and they've made it thirty years now. So far, so good. That's the end of that chapter. They're at thirty-five years now, and now having reunited with my birth daughter and her family. Uh, a couple years after I wrote that book, um, it's been just an interesting journey, a very remarkable experience um, to learn more about all the complexities that come from each side of our story. And they're also important and what um, big parts of each other's lives we are. And it's very difficult at times and it's very beautiful in other areas as we have been able to talk through some things and I know there's still some challenges like each of us in our own way um as all the parts of the triad um are represented my firstborn as the adoptee myself as a birth mother having chosen adoption when I did not feel I was capable of being a mother a mother she deserved at that time and her mother and her father as adoptive parents who had to rely on somebody making that choice um, for them to become a parent. And every, every adoption story is so different in the exact specifications. And I, my hope is that people can be more comfortable in talking about the parts that are hard so that there can be more healing. So they can see they're not alone. And even though the stories are different, there's a lot of emotional um, processes and, and commonalities that bring unity in the adoption world. And people thrive so much more when they're able to speak about it and to ask for help and to see that it's okay. Their story might be hard and have some really yucky, dark, challenging moments, and they're still okay. They're still wonderful people. We all are really just doing our best um, as we go. Um, so if you're interested in learning more, I actually have, um, have that book available on Audible as well. You can hear me narrate the whole dang thing. I think I only cried a teensy tiny bit at one point, and we left it in, and they didn't um, stop it. So you can find Not My Plan on Amazon both in paperback and on Audible, or you can always contact me directly and I can sign a copy. It does have my <clears throat> former name on it. I have since changed my name back to my maiden name, which feels so good. Um, and I'm 
hoping to do some kind of an update or maybe another book. Or, you know, I've been talking about that for years, so who knows. Um, but I'm so grateful that I took the time when I thought, man, I thought my life was busy then because I had three young kids and was pregnant with my my fourth um, child that I'm raising, my fifth baby overall. And, um, and it just got busier because since that time, uh, there's been a lot of changes in my life and it's kind of cool to have that journal of sorts, um, to watch, to see not only the changes, but to recognize the type of growth and the deep appreciation I have for my life. Um, there's really difficult moments. And then in those beautiful moments of recognizing what this journey is all about and finding joy and kind of letting go to expectations of what things are supposed to be and just be, you know, oh, so good. So um, if you have any questions about the adoption world, you can send me a message. I would love to have some questions um, to answer on future podcasts. I will likely keep adoption topics on a fairly regular rotation going forward in this podcast, um, just because the stories are so interesting and amazing to me. And I feel honored um, to be able to connect with people who have to intentionally try even harder to make the family dynamic work because they are choosing a different route than just your standard, your standard issue nuclear family. Um, And the effort that goes into it, the preparation, the prayers, the um, the connection that people make to try to make it the best possible experience for everyone involved. And there's so much love. Um, I just love where the, where things have shifted for adoption to be by and large, mostly open adoption. And so those adoptive, uh, the adoptees in the triad are often being loved by multiple people, just more people giving more love and having identity of where they come from and seeing the things that are genetic and health related and all those things while also celebrating the wonderful amazing efforts of people who are using adoption as a way to bring children into their home um so thank you for listening um and bearing with me a little bit as I was crying through that a bit and probably listening to my cats topple all over the floor And, yep, I just went ahead and blew my nose just a teeny bit while I'm wrapping this up here. Um, I wish you well. I would love to hear stories um, from others. I just uh, feel really grateful. Um, some Most of the time, feel really grateful that I just love to talk and share because it just makes my heart swell with with joy and humanity and connection and like we can do this we gotta just do do life one story at a time one day at a time one minute at a time whatever um so thank you so much for tuning in if you enjoy the podcast i would so appreciate a subscribe on whatever platform you're listening um anytime you want to leave a review that's also super super helpful and uh yeah until until next time, be well. Peekaboo. Hi, it's me again. Um, as I was editing this episode, I just felt compelled to give a quick little where are they now uh, update because I think something that is worth saying is a lot can change over time and 
That's why growth and being really intentional in our lives is so important. And one of the reasons I'm so grateful I actually pushed myself to finish this book um, is because I can look back on it and see so much growth and all the changes that have happened. So five years later, uh, I have since reunited with the baby I placed for adoption just before her 18th birthday. Uh, I was able to meet Hannah and her parents in person and her sister. Um, And that also happened to be the exact same week that I filed for divorce after 16 years. The baby I was pregnant with at the time of writing the book um, was coming up on his first birthday when I met um, when I met Hannah, and a couple of weeks later she was able to reunite with her birth father and his family, and we happen to live in the same community, so it's a small world, and we uh, have sort of known and kept touch to some limited degree over the years. Um, what else? Uh, there's a lot, you guys. Um, I've also since left the church that I grew up in and having written the book, having taken that time to piece together my own story really opened my eyes to a lot of the things that shaped me as I was growing. And one of the things I've learned is as we get more information and experience new things, we get to make new choices change things, change our opinion, change our circumstances to keep positioning ourselves to be as healthy and happy as possible. And um, these past several years have been really difficult in a lot of ways and also incredibly empowering to really be able to return to the core of who I am as a person after shedding a lot of different layers of things that had kind of either been assigned to me uh, from outside influences or voluntarily taken upon myself as I just did the best I could at the different seasons of my life. So uh, anyway, there's more obviously in the in the book and hopefully more to come. And I just want to spread the good word that evolution is a wonderful thing and um, have fun with it. We'll keep learning and growing. And when something is difficult or challenging you like don't be afraid to look really squarely in the mirror and see what you can do about it what's in your control how can you grow from it Um, what are those next steps and know that you are uh, such a good person and capable and um, and that the challenges are not meant to be wasted Um, they can be used to really explore new things in life and to um, further uh, build upon, um, you know, who we are and what we, what we can stand for in this life. Thank you for listening to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. If you'd like to stay connected to me in other ways, you can find me on most social media platforms at Megan or at my website, meganmccaleb.com. And remember, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things.